0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي الكريم ولا اله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحيي ويميت وبيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير نستغفرك الله ونتوب اليك انك انت التواب الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على محمد النبي الامين وخاتم الانبياء اجمعين المرسل رحمة للعالمين for those who want to understand Islam Islam came as a line of demarcation for Khan, a clear separation between what Islam described as the ethics the practices, the rituals, the lineages, the affiliations, the biases, the prejudices of jahiliyyah and those that are not. Jahiliyyah is a word derived from the, from the root jahl. Jahl means ignorance. The Quran itself refers to the ethics and morality that belong to the realm of jahiliyyah, to the realm of Ignorance. Jahiliya in Islam is often wedded to the idea of darkness, loss. In fact, a state in which shaitan dwells. A state that is demonic a state where you are more in the realm of shaytan more in the realm of the demonic the satanic than you are in the realm of the divine and godly Jahiliyyah with all its connotations is an ungodly state is a state where you cannot claim to be close to the realm of the divine islamic theology from the time of revelation, time and again reminded human beings that Islam takes people away from darkness to light. That if you are Muslim, and you understand what it means to walk in the company of the divine, then you have committed yourself to emerging from a state of darkness to light. But if you are not then you are always at risk always at risk in drowning in Tarut, in oppressiveness in the worst type of oppressiveness the oppressiveness of bigotry prejudice, ignorance simply put with the Divine, if you claim to be with the Divine, your heart itself has to be in the right place. Your heart must reject oppression, must reject ta'ut. Your heart must reject Jahiliya in all its forms. Imagine how many things fall under that huge category of jahiliyyah. Your heart must reject blind affiliations, must reject speaking out of ignorance, must reject slandering human beings, must reject foul obscenities, must reject treason and cheating, must reject dishonesty, must reject cowardliness, must reject miserliness, must reject materiality and lack of empathy. Islam came as a clear demarcation between a state of darkness, a state of jahiliyyah, and what comes after the enlightenment of Islam and the enlightenment of Islam is founded on two principles, Iman. fidelity and gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you be grateful to Allah and have the certitude, the certitude that in the same way you are alive now, you will come back after death and you will come back after death to be held accountable for everything that you've done in this life. That prong, the prong of Iman, cannot be completed without fully eschewing and rejecting and being in fact, thoroughly offended by the ethics of jahiliyyah. The ethics of jahiliyyah must be made repulsive to you. So when the Quran, when when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us talking about those who simply cheat in doing business what does it say it says woe to those who cheat when they when they buy and sell they cheat and then it comments don't these people know is it possible that these people know that they will not that they will in fact meet the Lord and be held to account. Immediately in saying this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms, underlines, underscores that cheating in business, like lying in anything, like cheating in anything, is part of the world of jahiliyyah and therefore cannot be part of the world of the divine. And in wa'ilun the Quran is talking about people who are not even Muslim but clearly identifies their behavior as immoral unethical, so immoral that it really doesn't matter whether you're Muslim or not, you will be held to account for every act that you innately know is immoral. We often forget that Islam came to emphasize the critical engagement with the divine through Iman by believing and by having a firm conviction that death is not the end of it that in the same way you will die, and you will evaporate, and that your physical body will be dispersed in billions of molecules all over this earth, Allah will bring you back. And that is nothing for Allah. It is not sure. And Allah will bring you back in whatever form to stand judgment. But a critical part of that iman is that you embrace what is Islamic and you reject what is jahili. And what is jahili are all those things that are unethical that we try to pass as acceptable through rationalization, but we know are unethical. Every time you cheat, every time you lie, every time you are unfair to another human being, every time you hurt someone, every time you act on bigotry and prejudice, That is jahiliyyah. Notice, we often repeat the story for a lot of Muslims. They know the story, but they forget the extent to which it truly conveyed to us a morally transformative lesson. In Surah Tabas, this is perhaps one of the most famous surahs in the Quran. And the surah, I'll first say it in Arabic and then unpack it a bit. سبحان الرحيم عبس وتولى أن جاءه الأعمى وما يدريك لعله يتزكى أو يذكر فتنفعه الذكرَة أما من استغنى فأنت له تصدَّى وما عليك ألا يتزكى وأما من جاءك يسعى وهو يخشى فأنت عنه تلهَى كلا إنها لا تسكرة فمن شاء ذكرَه Fe Suchovin Muqaramah Marfu Mutahara Aidi Safara. A man by the name of Abdullah ibn Maktoum was a blind man in Mecca. Abdullah ibn Maktoum was blind and poor. He incidentally was Khadija's cousin, the son of her uncle. Abdullah ibn Maktoum was already a Muslim, had already converted to Islam, a blind and poor man. As many of you know, the Prophet is going through a period of increased persecution. He had gone public with the Islamic message and he stood on the mountain of Asafa and called his people and told them that he is a prophet sent to them from Allah and warned them But on that day, out of the 45 people, heads of the different tribes that attended the Prophet's announcement, none converted. None accepted Islam. Shortly after that, his close companion Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, when he preached Islam openly, He was attacked and severely beaten. And then, other companions who dared pray in public or speak about Islam were severely assaulted and beaten. And then, those who did not have a tribal affiliation that could protect them, especially slaves, who converted to Islam, were not just severely beaten, but severely tortured. The Prophet ﷺ is in an urgent moment. He sees many of his companions around him suffering, egregious persecution, severe beatings, and systematic torture. And quite often he is unable to do anything to help them. In fact, Adi Yasser, the family of Yasser, are not just severely tortured, but the old woman who had converted to Islam and her old husband were both murdered and their son continued to be tortured in front of their eyes. Under these circumstances, it is understandable that the Prophet eagerly wants the elders of Mecca, people like Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, to either become Muslim, or at least to sympathize enough with Islam so that the persecution can be moderated a bit. If any amount Of persecution can be removed. It would be a great blessing. So, under these circumstances, the Prophet stands and is talking to some of the elders of Mecca, most prominent among them, Walid ibn al-Wahira fervently trying to either earn their conversion or at least mitigate the amount of suffering of his fellow, that his fellow Muslims are going through. A completely understandable thing. You are persecuted in society And you want to talk to the powerful so that the powerful will stop abusing human beings. Especially that many of these human beings are being tortured right before your eyes and you can't do anything to stop it. At that moment, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum This blind, poor man approaches the Prophet as he's talking to some of the elders of Mecca and he says, I want to talk to you. Well, hold on. I'm talking to these important high-powered people. No, no, I want to talk to you. I'm just talking to these high-powered people so I can help your fellow Muslims. No, no, I I have questions. Now, apparently, Abdullah ibn Maktoum was insistent enough that the Prophet got irritated because he's interrupting and because he is demanding that he takes priority over the elders of Mecca. Now remember, Abdullah ibn Maktoum is already Muslim. So from a strategic point of view, you could say, well, you know, if I'm going to spend time, I should spend time trying to earn the favor of these non-Muslims rather than spend time talking to this poor convert who's already a Muslim. And according to the reports, some reports say that the prophet was just irritated, other reports say that he irritated, he was irritated, and he frowned. Now, in all cases, Abdullah ibn Maktoum cannot see the Prophet's face. So if the Prophet والسلام, frowned, this man, Abdullah ibn Maktoum, who's blind, did not see it. But look at the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals an entire surah chiding the Prophet for that behavior. The surah is harsh in its criticism. Although many of us would have done exactly what the Prophet did. Many of us do that all the time. you, You give priority to meeting important people than to meeting less important people. All of us do that all the time. But there was a principle that the Quran had to anchor. With Islam, we don't play politics. With Islam we do ethics. وتولى, that entire surah comes to say in, God, in the eyes of God the fact that these are powerful and wealthy people in Mecca means nothing. In the eyes of God that Poor blind man is more important. And Prophet of God Muhammad, what you should concern with concern yourself with are the ethics of the process, but not the results. How do you know? لَعَلَّهُ You don't know whether it is more, whether the yield is better with the high-powered people you are talking to or talking to the blind, poor man. But that's not your business. To think of the results is not your business. What is your business is the ethical process itself and morally and ethically the rich are not entitled to anything more than the poor the powerful should not get priority over the disempowered because this is the prophet of God Ali salatu wasalam after the revelation of Abbas, every time the Prophet would see Abdullah ibn Maktoum, ibn Umm Maktoum, he would say, marhaba, hello, to the person who Allah reprimanded me for. Amazing humility. Because the Prophet, and this is the Prophet, was taught a moral lesson. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum became far more important for him than this. than than even normal. He would always celebrate him and say alhamdulillah for the person who became a vehicle for teaching me more humility and more principles and who became the vehicle for underscoring the difference between Islam and jahiliyyah. In jahiliyyah we play politics in jahiliya we give priority to the wealthy and the powerful but in islam it is the it is the principles the ethics that matter abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum goes on to become a very important figure in Islamic history. Frequently, when the Prophet would leave Al-Madinah for any purpose, he would appoint Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum as his deputy. Many of us would become resentful and it would be the end of the relationship with this man who caused a public embarrassment at a time when the Prophet was already persecuted, already insulted, and beaten by the Kuffar. But this is not the ethics of Islam. So, time and time again, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum is appointed as the Prophet's deputy when the Prophet left the Medina for any reason. Eventually, this man's religious status rises and becomes a significant moral figure within the Muslim community. And eventually, he is martyred in battle in the year 15 Hijra, in ma'rakat al-Qadusiyya. Although blind, keep in mind, blind, but he insisted on going out in the battle of Qadusiyya, insisted on going out with the army and being the barrier of the banner, the flag of the army, and he was martyred in that battle. When the Prophet والسلام, taught وصوصى وصوصى الـصوصى, human beings are equal, like the teeth of a calm, it was meant theoretically and practically to. to distinguish, to discriminate between people on the basis of their nationality, on the basis of their race, on the basis even on their gender is jahiliyyah. All of it is jahiliyyah. If you treat people differently because of their wealth, because of their race, because of their tribal affiliation, because of their ethnicity, because of their nationality. All of that are part of the ethics of Jahili. Including treating people differently because of their class. And this is what the demonstrative example of Abasa wa Tawalla is. Class. we all too often forget that you cannot be a Muslim in name, but in substance, reflect the morality of jahili. If you are a racist, if you are a classist, if you are a bigot, if you are full of hatred, if you are dishonest, if you are a cheater, if you are a liar, you are Muslim by name, but by heart and mind, you're a jahili. A jahili. You are part of jahiliyyah. Islam came as a moral revolution. An ethical revolution. It rebelled against the status of the elite clergy, the priests and priestesses. It rebelled against the status of the rich in society and their privileges and their immunities. It rebelled against the ignorance of tribalism and lineage, It rebelled against the ignorance of racism, Persian, Arab, African. It rejected all of that. And it even rebelled against the statism of free versus slave. And that is why the Prophet even forbade us from referring to someone as Abd or Abda, a slave. Just the use of the word, although a lot of Arabs use the word abd, in direct contradiction to the commands of the Prophet. Don't say abd. You can't refer to, you can't use that word. It is politically incorrect in Islam. That is the ethical revolution and the rejection of jahiliyyah in all its forms. And that lesson is more important for us in the present moment than in any other time. Because yes, we became formally Muslims, but at so many levels we continue to be thoroughly jahili in nature. قول هذا أستغفر لي. الله لي ولكم صل الله عليه الصجم. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الخاتم الأمين المرسل رحمة للعالمين I'm sure many of you saw on the news the case of George Floyd, the African American man who was killed by the police in Minneapolis. The story of this man's killing has many typical elements. A black man goes to a store, is suspected of criminal activity, the store calls the police in what has become a common racist paradigm the police arrives and sees that this is a big man. And so often, the nature of racists are threatened by big African American men. So, as you saw in the video, they handcuff him, and one of the cops puts his knees on his neck, until George Floyd dies. Initially, and by the way, these same cops had been in several disciplinary, there were several disciplinary actions against them involving police brutality where they pretty much got off with a slap on the hand if anything but it is what that incident represents. There are no circumstances by which, under which it becomes acceptable, whether in the United States or outside the United States, for the police to put their knee on someone's neck and ignore his pleas. I can't breathe, my stomach hurts, my body hurts until he dies. This is the embodiment, the very essence of police, police brutality. But the main problem which ignited the demonstrations that we saw in Minneapolis and elsewhere is that this is a repeated pattern against minority groups, especially blacks, in which blacks are killed by the police and nothing happens. If there were no demonstrations, if someone didn't film this incident, and if there were no demonstrations and no protests, Rest assured, nothing would have happened to these cops. Today, one of them, I think, was charged with third degree murder, which I'll talk to you about in a second. But this happens all the time, and the police involved in these incidents are not disciplined, are not fired, and definitely not charged. In fact, in Minneapolis itself, just last year, there was a shooting of another black man under suspicious circumstance, and Brochard, this woman who was running for president, who was at the time the prosecutor declined to prosecute, the police officers involved, and it went to a grand jury, and the grand jury did not indict. The problem, is the jahiliyyah of racism is endemic in our society and endemic in so many of us Muslims. Of course, racism as a form of jahiliyyah, it is more lethal when it infects the police because they're armed. They're not just armed with weapons, they're armed with the law so that if you refuse to abide by their commands, you have the entire legal system that could come and smash you. They're armed with firearms and they're armed with the law. They're supposed to enforce the law, but their interpretation of the law most often goes unreviewed and without an accounting. We write laws, but who implements the laws on the ground? It's the police. And in the vast majority of cases, there's no way that you can hold those who interpret the law and enforce it accountable before they do so. And it is very difficult to hold them to account in hindsight. That is why, precisely, the ethics in society itself has to change. Because the police yield a very dangerous power. The ethics in society have to change and institutions for reviewing the conduct of those who are charged with interpreting and applying the law must be active and dynamic and energetic and empowered. The police cannot review themselves and hold themselves to account. That equals corruption. But what is most troubling is the endemic racism. Can you imagine if you add the number of blacks who were unlawfully and unjustly killed or tortured, from the time that the United States has been established till today, add the number of blacks, add to them the number of Native Americans, add to them the number of Latinos and Hispanics, can you imagine how many volumes this would fill If you are an ethical human being, you cannot talk about institutions of democracy in the United States, about due process and equality before the law, without thinking of the numbers of victims who bear testimony against your ideals. The problem, to give you an example of this endemic racism, until yesterday when this cop was charged, there were several police police shootings in Minneapolis over the years. Not one of them led to a criminal charge, except one. There was only one exception. And that exception proves the rule. Because you know what this exception was? A Muslim police officer, a Muslim police officer, his name was Muhammad Nur, a man of Somali origins, shot a white woman and killed her. And he was charged with third-degree murder and convicted. He was the only one to actually be charged when a Muslim black man shot a white woman, a grand jury did charge him and the prosecutor did prosecute and no demonstrations were needed, no protests were needed, there were nothing. Everyone was against the police officer from the beginning. This is, now, there there is no question that this is jahidi. But we have to understand and we cannot ignore that the wonderful experiment in democracy and civil rights that Emerged in the United States and Europe is under serious threat because of bigotry, prejudice and racism, including Islamophobia. There was a recent study published by a professor in Texas a and m that showed an alarming rise in white nativist movements who prefer dictatorial solutions and who are not offended by Trump's erosion of democracy as long as it keeps minorities at bay. In other words, these whites feel threatened by minority rights and they see the Obama administration As an alarming, as a siren, as an alarming moment that must never be allowed to repeat. And they favor increased executive power to the Trump administration, they they favor Trump exercising greater executive power and canceling legislation in order to keep minorities at bay. At the same moment that I say this, as Muslims, we cannot forget that while in the United States, people could demonstrate and burn a police precinct, and as a result, this police officer is finally charged with third-degree murder. Incredibly, all over the Muslim world, This happens every day. Police torture and kill people every day. And any journalist who dares say anything about it is promptly arrested and thrown in prison. And anyone who dares demonstrate about it is promptly arrested and thrown in prison. And it is very rare all over the Muslim world for a police officer who tortures and kills a person to be held accountable in any way. This is jahiliyyah and this is jahiliyyah. And as a Muslim, I am offended by the jahiliyyah of Muslims far more than I'm offended by the jahiliyyah of non-Muslims. Because when jahiliyyah exists among Muslims, they should know better. They have no excuse. The Prophet والسلام, in the Hadith that, in my opinion, is erroneously categorized as weak, and I can get into why I think it's erroneously categorized as weak some other time. He said, لا يقف احدكم لا يقف لا يقفن احدكم موقفا يضرب فيه رجل صوتا ظلما فإن, فان اللعنه تنزل على من حضر حيث لم يدافع عنه ولا يقفن احد منكم موقفا يختل فيه الرجل ظلما فان اللعنه تنزل على من حضر ولم حيث لم يدافع عنه لم يدافع عنه let none of you stand by when a man or woman, human being, is flogged unfairly. Let not a, one of you stand by as a man or woman is killed unjustly or unfairly. Because if you stand by and you do nothing, Allah scares will fall on those who tortured or killed and those who watched and did nothing. Now, in our day and age, who are those who watched and did nothing? Everyone on social media. Everyone who knows about it. In the old days, you needed to actually be present to see the incident. Today, If you watched the video or you read the news item and you've seen that racism and you fail to act, don't complain when you find that barakah, blessings, have been taken away from your life. Allah doesn't bless the unjust. Allah doesn't bless the jahili. Understand, you can pray all you want, you can fast all you want, But if your heart doesn't beat with passion for justice, don't ask Allah for barakah. Don't ask Allah for blessing. You haven't held your end of the bargain. What pains me, and I cannot forget this, is that there are Muslims in the United States who are very influential among the young, who don't, does, who, sorry, who de-emphasize the racial problem in the United States, who want to convince Muslims that their job in life is to learn how to do their Salah correctly, and their Som correctly, and to get married, and to have children, and who say things like, oh, black life matters, doesn't matter, all my life matters. Who say things like, the police don't kill more blacks than whites, it's just that the police kill, when police kill whites, we don't hear about it. Oh, Muslims are not persecuted, oh, blacks are not persecuted, these are the emirati like muslims the muslims of the Emirates, and they hold the institutions of power in the united states they are jahili muslims they are jahili muslims two types of muslims a type that tells you when there's injustice, when a black man is stepped on and degraded by the police and killed, they tell you what the Prophet ﷺ wants you to do? Oh, great Imam of the Imarat, tell me, what does the Prophet want me to do about this? They want you to do your salah correctly, say your takbir correctly, put your hand in the right place on your chest when you do the salah, Do the ruku' correctly, the sujood correctly, and then go home and raise your children. That's what the Prophet ﷺ wants to do. The second time tells you the Prophet ﷺ is offended to the core and wants you to protest and wants you to say no to injustice and wants you to say no to jahili behavior, no to bigotry, no to racism. You pick which type of Islam. The first, in my estimation, is not Islam at all. It is an Islamized jahiliya, an Islamized jahiliya, an Islamized jahiliya. That's all it is. Thinly disguised jahiliya with an Islamic veneer. But these are the predominant Muslim institutions that exist in the United States. Again, I'm not talking about places like care, for instance. Obviously not. But all those who receive money from the Emirati government or the Saudi government or the Egyptian government, any of these governments who killed the soul of Islam with the soul of jahiliyyah, one final point, an item to bring you good news, because we all need good news. Good news. Las Vegas is going to reopen <laughs> sooner rather than later. Alhamdulillah: Las Vegas was a real in real crisis. It had shut down and it was sustaining very heavy financial losses. The problem was that Las Vegas needed Corona tests, needed these tests that you know, you, nasal swabs, so that they can test a bigger number of people and that without having that, they weren't able to, able to reopen. They asked the federal government for nasal swabs and the federal government said, sorry, can't do for X number of months. And Las Vegas said, well, what are we going to do? Unless we have more tests on hand, we can't open Las Vegas as soon as we want. Alhamdulillah, Allah sent the great Mujahid through the dense clouds of darkness. Can you guess who the great Mushahid is? Muhammad bin Zayed of Abu Zabi. Muhammad bin Zayed said, Astaghfirullah, Las Vegas is not going to be open as soon as possible. So Muhammad bin Zayed, this is in the Los Angeles Times, sent in an emergency test kits of 200,000 emergency test kits. Costing... Abu Dhabi and the United Arab Emirates about twenty million dollars, and alhamdulillah, because of Mohammed bin Zayed's emergency relief to Las Vegas, Las Vegas now armed with these two hundred thousand Corona test kits, alhamdulillah is going to be open, be able to reopen very soon, and the article in the Los Angeles Times thanks Mohammed bin Zayed for his great heroism and his generosity and his jihad as a great mujahid. All you Muslim shuyukh who go pay your allegiance in the Emirat, you should be proud. Maybe you should join Muhammad bin Zayed for a celebration in Las Vegas where you could enjoy all the Islamic behavior that takes on Muhammad. By the way, the Emirat owns a good portion of Las Vegas. The Emirat and Muhammad bin Zayed, you know there are a lot of people in the Arab world that refer to Muhammad bin Zayed as the Satan of Arabs. And he truly is a demon, a demon. Everything in which you can find jahiliyyah, including gambling and prostitution and kufr and everything in which there is jahiliyyah, you find Muhammad bin Zayed involved in. (sighs) Allahumma afu anna. Allahumma akfir lana. Allahumma arhamna ya rabbal alameen. Allah forgive our sins grant us the straight path the path of light and wisdom the path of Islam not the path of Jahiliyyah grant us beauty in our life everywhere we go and forgive our sins and give us give us your Acceptance and nearness to you, Ya Allah, Ya Ali, Alhamdulillah, Allah,